Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad Stahl, one of the pastors here at First Baptist. I want to greet you. I want to greet our uh, venue service as well. Great to have you listening in here as well. And um, if you can take out your uh, outline that's in your bulletin, that would be most helpful to have before you. We're continuing our series called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And as uh, you were taking that out, let me ask you uh, to bring to mind something that brings stress to you in your life. Now, I didn't ask you to point at the person that brings stress. I just said, think of something that brings stress. And let me ask this question. What do you do with that stress? How do you deal with it? If we're honest, most of us would probably say we don't deal with it very well. That's why it's still a stress in our lives. And if we're honest, um, we probably also have to admit that we try and deal with it in our own power and our own strength. This last week, I had the privilege of going to lunch with Walter White. Walter White has been a longtime missionary in our denomination and uh, works with many um, in Muslim countries. Uh, And we started to talk a little bit about ISIS and what's taking place over in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about some overarching stressors in life. That's something that can just weigh down on us as we listen to the news, read the radio, internet, whatever, wherever it may be coming from. And I wanted to discuss an article with him that I came upon because, you know, I consider him an expert in this area, and he's often been overseas and worked with many in, this, in these countries. Um, and, and we discussed what the article was talking about. Basically, the article was saying that um, uh, the jihadist uh, movement and the Islamic states are so different from other battles that we have faced, because many are now saying we have entered into a third world war, um, us in the West dealing with this issue. And um, the article kind of recalled that the Nazis were defeated by military means back in World War II, and the communists were defeated by military, economic, and political means, but this jihadist threat um, requires all the above in self-defense, and also, though, there's not just one single leader. It's kind of a generational conflict that we're dealing with, and we are battling with a movement that is motivated spiritually and therefore must be defeated spiritually. And when I said that, we read the article with with Walter White, his eyes grew really big and he said, that's it. That's what we have been missing. That's what the West does not know. We don't hear it from the news. We don't hear it from the media. But it is really a spiritual battle that is being faced in this area. And and we talked a little bit about how ISIS terrorists are motivated by end times theology. That kind of drives their radicalism. It's an apocalyptic kind of view that they take. And they're not alone in it. The leaders of Iran are also motivated by their belief that their Messiah is coming, a figure called Mahdi, um, that will appear soon and establish his kingdom. But to fulfill that vision that they have, the jihadists are, are feeling the need that, that they know that they must defeat and destroy our civilization. In fact, you may have heard this quote came out a few months ago that one of their spokesmen said, we will conquer your Rome, meaning the Western civilization. Said, we will break your crosses and enslave your women. 
We will not reach that time. If we don't reach that time in our lifetime, then our children and our grandchildren will reach it, and they will sell your sons as slaves on the slave market. I mean, you talk about some some stressors in life that we can feel if we let it. Um, no mistake, the, the Islamic State, the jihadist movements are threatening. Uh, King Abdullah from Jordan says the West has engaged in a third world war versus this Islamic terrorism. Uh, former Prime Minister Tony Blair said uh, that the apoptic Islam is the, global, the globe's biggest threat right now. And, and as I reminded you, that is a spiritual battle that they are in. That we are in as we face this. But we don't recognize it as such. And so what the article reminded me as I talked with Walt White. Is is it said, pray for these leaders. Pray for them because it's a spiritual battle. In fact, I love the wording that the article said. It said, pray that they will receive visions of Jesus. Because they're probably not going to get too many people who are going to stand right in front of them. And talk about a faith or a faith in Christ and where to turn to. But God can do that in a state of prayer. God can do that through dreams and through visions, um, that there will be a spiritual awakening that would come to the Muslim world. And when I talked about that, Walt actually interrupted me. He said, you know what? Today there are hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ, even in Egypt. He said, you won't hear this much on the news, but 150,000 people in one year's time made contacts with the Christian ministries in Egypt, exploring how they could follow Christ. What he said was, they're looking for a better idea, what they call it. Not, we would say maybe a better way, but they said a better idea. Because the apocalyptic Islam faith and the ISIS movement has not answered or sufficed their questions. With the, with the global upheaval that they're trying to bring upon, and not a sense of peace, and not a sense of, of, of uh, control that maybe they felt like their original Islamic faith kind of brought about. And so many people are doing this. He said, in one country, one of the Muslim leaders said, we attacked 300 of your Christian churches, and you didn't attack one of our mosques. There is something different about your faith. And they're wondering, they're, they're looking into it. They're, they're looking for a better idea, as he said, or a better way. I, I mean, these, these kind of world threats, these kind of world events can, can be incredibly threatening. They can be huge stressors in our lives. I mean, you think about that kind of a movement that can weigh down on us, and then you think about the everyday stressors that we feel and that we go through. If you're in school right now, you're probably feeling it about homework, study groups, class projects, midterms, finals coming soon. Maybe you have to work, a part-time job as well to support your school. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're working right now. Maybe you're trying to buy a home or maybe have a mortgage, and so you need overtime to even make ends meet. Maybe you have a family, you have children, housework, yard work, whatever it may be. Maybe even you are retired. Many retired people tell me they are more busy in retirement than they were before retirement. I don't understand how they could be so busy now. I mean, it's incredibly stressful if we let it be. And you say, well, kind of, how, how come I'm bringing up all these kind of things? Here, here's why I'm saying this. You will hear often from publicities or radio or newscasts or internet or things that will say, here's how you can deal with your stresses. Here's what you can do to put them into, you know, proper perspective and, and gain calmness and peace about it. And I just have to say this. 
Any of those things that deal with maybe uh, self-help or techniques or plans or programs or some sort of philosophy of time management is not where it's going to be found. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 11 because Jesus already addressed this. We just sometimes forget about it. Jesus was asked a question about world events. He was asked a question about when the second coming was going to come and kind of pertaining to the end of the world. And we have a lot of thoughts about that with what's going on in the world and kind of a third world war that's been taking place. But let me share with you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Because as we face these issues, here's what Jesus says we need to do about them. Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden, it's light. What we're going to do here just for the remaining few minutes that we have in our worship service is I want to just kind of camp out on these three verses. And I want to just us to ingest them and, and bring them into our, our, our beings today so that we will get God's word into us. So that when you leave, you'll be able to say, yes. The yoke that Jesus has upon me is easy, and his burden is light. Not heavy, but light. Because that was his promise to us. And so, three words I want you to circle as we look at jumping into this. Do it on your outline, do it in your Bible, wherever it may be. But if you will circle the word come, it's at the very beginning of that verse. The word take, and the word learn. Come, take, and learn. Because the way some of us are dealing with these stressors in life, the way some of us are, are, are living um, is not how God designed for it to be. We need to resign as master of the board. That's why we entitled the message that way. Resign as master of the board. Jesus has a better way for you to live and the steps that you are to take. And so let me just kind of start right there. First things first, following the verses, verse 28 talks about, you can fill this in on the top of your outline, how to find soul rest. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to Jesus is how he wrote it on there. Come to Jesus. Look at the verse there. Matthew 28, or Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's the word there? I will give you, I will give you rest. This is, this is not just a physical rest, but this is a soul rest that he is talking about. Not just rest from worry or stress or fear or anxiety or, or, or bitterness or maybe some guilt that you have in your life. In fact, hear me on this, please. This is one of the most important things. If you don't hear anything else today, you'll, you'll want to hear this. To find soul rest, to find a sense of peace in the midst of where our world is today. It is not about a technique. It is not about a principle. It is not about a plan. It's not about some program that you go into or go through. It is about a person. Defined soul rest is about a person. Notice Jesus does not say, come to church. He doesn't say, come to your community group. 
He doesn't say, come to your pastor. He doesn't even say, come to your scripture, or what we would call our Bible. But he says, come to, who does he say? He said, come to, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. And please, please don't confuse this. Rest and spiritual strength is found in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible is a tool for that, and that is totally true. It is a tool for that, but you've got to understand, I will let you down. Your church will let you down. Your community group, even some of your spiritual mentors in your life will let you down. Church is filled with imperfect people, led by imperfect leaders. Nobody amen that. Thank you that you didn't. <laughs> but it's true. And if you place your trust in people, you'll be disappointed 100% of the time. Now, God uses people. God uses leaders. But you don't treat them as the model of perfection. Jesus is the only one who modeled the perfection for us. That's who we turn to. So, here's my question. To who or to what do you normally turn to when everyday stresses build up? Not just, you know, like the big world events that maybe kind of weigh down upon us, but to who and what do you normally turn to when everyday stressors build upon you? Now, many of you would probably say, well, you know, we, we turn to Jesus, right? I mean, that's the answer. It's Sunday at 9.30 between 9.30 and 10.45. It's Jesus, Right? Or when you're in your community group or your Sunday school class, you know, we can answer a lot of questions by saying, pray, read your Bible, and Jesus. You can answer a lot in that way. That's the answer to give, right? Well, let me say, do you, though, do you really turn to him? Is that your first choice? And I want to say I seriously doubt it because it's probably something more like food or TV just getting home and popping up your feet, just relaxing and just kind of vegging out. Or maybe it's a drink. Maybe it's a smoke. Maybe it's a, some pill that you pop. Maybe it's some video that you put in. So you can operate in that way. And you can kind of quell some of the outside frustrations or stressors that come up. But that's in human power. And God is saying, no, in my power, I want to give you supernatural strength. I want to give you supernatural peace that you will not find anywhere in the world. Last night I was uh, contacted about going to see a uh, gal in our church whose husband went into the hospital on Friday. And um, <clears throat> I came to understand that her husband, they were not sure if he was going to live through the night. So by 8 o'clock last night, I went down to St. Joseph's, got into the uh, ICU, and um, I didn't quite know what I was going to walk into. I walked into the room, though, and the husband was there. He was, you know, had the tubes and incubated and, and all the rest and was in a semi-coma um, and the wife was in the corner. As I walked in, she turned and she looked. She didn't recognize me at first. And then she said, oh, Pastor Brad, and, and her voice was so upbeat. And I said, how are you doing? She said, well, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I said, no, I'm, I'm here for you. Tell me how you're doing. She said, well, I, I'm doing okay. I'm doing right. I said, tell me a little bit about the situation. And she talked to me about what had happened over the last couple of days with her husband. Um, she had an incredible peace about her. And as I talked with her about it, she said, you know, I, I've just turned this all over to God. 
I've just prayed. She said, I don't normally pray Psalm 23, but that was the word that was put upon my heart, and I've just been praying Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as I lie down by green pastures, beside quiet waters, as they go through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, you're rotten, they staff, they cover. She just recited the whole Psalm 23 to me, and I thought, you know, here is someone who's going through a possible death of a spouse, and they're leaning into Jesus. They're praying. That was their first response. Of course I'm going to pray about this. Of course I'm going to let God just kind of minister to me and speak to me. I don't need to turn to anything else. It's just a great reminder of what happens when we do that and do that in the right way. In fact, look at this verse out of um, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. Isaiah writes these words. Many of you have this even as a favorite verse. Have you not known... Have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And then go down to verse 30 and 31 where it says, Even youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. Here's 31. But they who wait on the what? On the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now let me do a little work on this one. The word renew in there is literally the Hebrew word for exchange. It has to do with a change of clothing that you take off and put on a new set of clothing. Now get this. This this is good. These are clothes that you never knew you had before you came to a faith. This is a new strength that you have. You did not have these before. These are from heaven. They are from God. You say, well, how do you get them? You don't get them by working for it. Most of us probably want to do that. We want to do something to get something. No, you get them by waiting upon the Lord. Just the opposite of what the world would tell you. In fact, you know, Scripture is often just the opposite of what the world would tell you. The world says when you're empty, do more. The Bible says when you're empty, do nothing. The world says work. The Bible says wait. The world says work. Jesus says rest. Rest in me. Come to me. Now, I realize... Many of you are probably thinking, okay, you know, we're supposed to come to Jesus. We're supposed to turn to him. Good point. I'm a Christian. I've done that, Pastor Brad. Thank you very much. This is like for those who have not turned, okay? I'll pray for them. No, no, no. Hold on. This is for you as well. This is for all of us. Because um, if you've done that, why are you still living such a stressed out life? I mean, maybe you've taken... Jesus as your Savior, but you forgot to take him as your Lord. Right? We have that phrase, as Lord and Savior. Don't forget the Lord part. The Lord part is every day turning your life over to him. Every day giving him control. Every day. Not just saving us from eternal damnation, from hell and all of that, but a faith that makes a difference today. And so let me give you the second thought on this that Jesus talks about. And that is, the second point is to give up control. Give up control control. Don't just come to him as Savior, but to come to him as Lord as well. Stop being the master of the board, thinking you got to run the entire game. In fact, let me give you a little hint on this. The more in control you want to be, the more stressed out you will be. 
Let me say that again. The more in control you want to be, the more stressed out you will be. That's why Jesus says, and look what he says here in uh, 11, 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is, what's the word there? My yoke is easy, and my burden is... Now, some of you are saying, all right, I don't get that. What's the whole yoke thing? Okay, we're not talking about an egg, first and foremost. That's not what we're dealing with here. It, it, it's something you put on, and many of you might say, well, why do I want to put something on myself? Okay, let me, let me describe this. Most of us probably didn't or weren't raised on a farm, and so uh, we might not know exactly what a yoke is. And so let's play a little detective work here, all right? A yoke, and I think we're going to sl- uh, slap up a picture here as well. A yoke is a wooden beam that attaches two farm animals together that allows them to work as a team. And, you know, many people might look at this and say, well, is it, is it like a harness? Like, like you hold something back? No, it's not like a harness. It's used to make work easier for the farm animal, um, easier and kinder as well for the animal as well. And so it's used to guide and direct the animals. So why does Jesus use this kind of symbolism? Well, he does it, and again, it's on your outline in the box, he uses a symbol because it, it, a yoke is a symbol of control. It guides the animal. See, most of us say, okay, we, we've turned to Jesus. Then again, why do our burdens feel so heavy? Because perhaps we do not have on his yoke. Oh, you got a yoke on. You have a yoke around your neck. It's just not Jesus' yoke. And let, and let me prove to you why. If Jesus was driving you, do you think he'd drive you as you're being driven now? For most of you, no. I mean, some of you are getting this. Some of you are living differently. Some of you are playing the game. You know when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. You're rethinking things. You're doing things differently. But for the rest of us, we're not there yet. And the yoke we have, we're being driven. And it's not the yoke that Jesus would want for us. The one who says, I will give you rest, also says, I am gentle, says, I am humble, my burden is light. And if that's the case, do you think you would be being driven as you are being driven right now in your life? See, you got someone's yoke on, it's just not the yoke of Jesus. Maybe it's the yoke of of an unpleasable parent that you've never been able to get off. Maybe it's a boss who just kept pressing and pressing and demanding and demanding, and you're feeling the weight of that. In fact, maybe some of you have even put your own yoke on, a yoke of perfectionism. That, most of the time, is is my downfall. I can remember many Easter's, the first times that I was preaching over in Crosswalk on Easter Sundays, I felt like I just had to do things perfectly on Easter because that was the day everybody came. That was the day you had to do it just right. And almost in a sense of saying, God, let me do this one because I can then control what needs to be done. I had it all wrong. All wrong. We, you know, we have a capital fund campaign coming up. Many of you know, we've talked about this since May, that we have a $3.3 million debt on our building and the ministry center that's over here. Um, And so we've talked about how do we get out that? How do we reduce that? And I know I can feel the burden of that. I can feel the weight of that if I take it upon myself. You know, that's not the case. I mean, first of all, God is saying, this is mine. I own all the cattle and all the hills. I got this one under control, Pastor Brad. 
And then he's saying, look at the team I have around you. And we do. We have a great team of about 12 people working together to bring this about to say, how do we just keep this in front of our people? How do we share this? How do we put this out to say, we're all a part of this. We can do this. Because when we come together, that uh, debt can be just so reduced. And then we can get on to ministering with those finances in such incredible ways that doesn't have to go into debt service here on our grounds. But we can take it upon ourselves, or I certainly know that I can, being a leader here at the church. What we need to come to is the point of saying, okay, God, you got this one. You're the master. You're the Lord. You're running this show. You're in control. You're the man. I am not. In fact, look at the verse there out of 95, Psalm 95, 6 and 7. It says, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's the one who made you. He's the master of you. That's who we kneel before, for he is our, what's the word there? He is our, and we are the people. Remember what I've said about this in the last few months? Some of our biggest stressors come from mixing those two up, where we try and play God. The psalmist got this right. He says, let's remind ourselves, he's our God. We are the people. We are just the sheep, sheep of the pasture. And so a yoke is a symbol of control. Let me give you a second thing that it is. It's also a symbol of partnership. A symbol of partnership. It's this picture of working shoulder to shoulder, side by side, working together, not doing it by yourself. Look what the psalmist says again, Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved or shaken or wavered. In fact, let me say it like this. When Jesus says in Matthew eleven thirty, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, here's what he's getting at. The word easy is a Greek word that means perfectly fitted. Many of us know that Jesus was a carpenter, and so I think he had this imagery in mind. I'm sure he would have built some types of yokes, and when he did that, he built them for specific animals. And so he would carve them and create them, not mass-produced as probably we think about American ingenuity and American society of these mass-produced products. It would be done to perfectly fit the farm animal that it needs to be placed upon. And so it was customized in that way. Kind of a little bit like your favorite, you know, your favorite pair of jeans, right? And you wash those jeans and you wear them, you wash them and you wear them, wash them and wear them about 20 times in, 15, 20 times in. They are your jeans. They are perfect for you, right? They, they, they just fit. Those are the ones you like to go to to relax in or to do things in or go around town. They fit you. Well, if you have a yoke that is chafing you, then that yoke, I would venture to say, is not from Jesus. You got the wrong pair of jeans on, is what I would say with that one. That is not from Jesus. Maybe it's from your kids. Maybe it's from an unpleasing parent. Again, maybe it's a boss's yoke. Maybe it's a a, a yoke of, of expectations. Maybe even you have 10 yokes piled high upon you. I mean, I can feel some of that. I can feel expectations from people and from church people and, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And I just have to say, God, the only yoke I want is from you. That's the only one I need to live with. Yes, I listen to others. and Yes, I take their counsel. Yes, I take their guidance. Yes, I take some of their thoughts. But God, what do you, what do you say about this? I'm listening to your yoke. In fact, it can be summarized this way. Look at the um, uh, next fill in there. When I am yoked with Christ, 
We move together in the same direction and the same pace. When I'm yoked with Christ, we move in the same direction and the same pace. We go the same direction because we're linked together, but we also go in the same pace. See, some of you are going in the right direction. You're just not going in the right pace. And when you do that, it, 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 it kind of throws things off. You've got to pace your direction. You've got to pray for your direction, but you also need to pay or pray for the pace that you go out. If you've ever seen a cross-country race, you'll know that some of the racers run fast at the beginning. And then there's often a kind of a herd behind them who are running together. The ones who are running fastest, if they have not paced themselves, they will often come back to the pack. And it's the ones in that herd or maybe even behind that who are going at a steady, even pace who when the race ends have caught the pack and many times have won because they know how to pace themselves. And so again, my question is, who is setting your pace? See, some of you may be running with an awfully fast crowd, and you are going to crash and burn before the game is over, and you're not going to end well. And the truth of the matter is, I'm convinced that if you are yoked with Jesus, most of us would slow down a little bit, because I never see, and I've explained this over the last couple of months, I've never seen Jesus in a hurry in Scripture. In fact, one time when his best friend was, was dying, he took two to three days just kind of hanging back, not rushing, not hurried, not at someone else's timing, not just, just his pace. I'll get there, I'll get there, I'll get there. And in the midst of it, glorify God when he was there raising Lazarus from the dead. Who, whose pace? Whose pace are you operating in? See, if Jesus has control, which is the direction and the pace, most of us would not be as frazzled as we are. We're wearing some yoke, but it's not his. In fact, let me give you the last point there, and then we're going to do something um, to learn from this. And that is the last point down there is to learn from Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, learn from me. See what I do. That's why it is so important that we encourage you, don't just pick up your Bible to bring it here on Sunday mornings and have it in front of you and you open it up. We open it up during midweek. We open it up during the community groups. We open it up during the morning time. Open it up during the evening time. Learn from me, says Jesus. May my spirit get into you. Understand what I do. When he prayed, when he worked, when he served, what his purpose was. We talked about that last week. In fact, let me end kind of with a, a story and then a challenge. Uh, last week, I, I brought up the um, uh, story about a young mother who um, has been coming here with her family. And um, they decided that over the course of our campaign, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box, they wouldn't spend any more money other than just necessities that they needed, um, food and not, not even clothing, food and um, toiletries and other things like that, and said, we, we can live without this other thing, these other things. She wanted to go deeper than that and not just make, make it um, the physical items, material items, but also to say, God, what are some things that I'm doing in my life that are not pleasing to you? And so um, she started to pray. Here's what, and she wrote me an email. She actually came by and talked to me during the week, but she wrote me an email, and here's what she said. She said, seriously, Pastor Brad, God is moving. She said, on uh, day one of my six-week challenge, I prayed that God would bring to light the things that I have placed above him. I prayed the same thing every morning for the past week. 
God doesn't waste any time. I've been convicted slowly by different things that I have placed above God. And in fact, last night I was woken up six times from the same dream. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about this dream that she had and refer back to what I said earlier about ISIS and praying for ISIS and praying for those leaders. God can work through dreams. God can work through visions. Watch how he did this here. She said, here's my dream. I was in a completely black room with a cross in the middle and a light shining on the cross. On the cross was everything that I placed above God. All material items. There was a coffee cup. Jewelry. Clothing draped over the cross. Shoes at the foot of the cross. There were so many items hanging on the cross that you couldn't physically see the cross, only the shape of the cross. In the dream, I felt embarrassed, ashamed, and angry at myself for realizing what cross I was really worshiping. In the dream, I started crying and ripping things off the cross, throwing them away. And after the cross was finally free from the items that were on it um, and the things that were taking its place, I remember saying, strip the cross, strip the cross. I only want to see Jesus. She said, I woke up feeling so convicted and just torn apart because without realizing it, I've replaced the cross with my own selfish desires. The things I think I need myself and not what God needs for me. She said, Pastor Brad, God is moving in me and my family. He's showing me a side of myself that I really don't like, but I'm so glad that he's revealed. She actually went through and explained a little bit more. I may share some of that upcoming. But I just wanted to remind you what what she's done here. This is the case of someone saying, I'm resigning as master of the board. That I don't run the show. I'm in the game, yes, but I'm not controlling and dictating the game. And so let me ask you the question just as we're ending here. Are you controlling things in your life? In your game? Um, At the beginning of the message, I asked the question, when stresses come, who or what do you turn to? I hope 35 minutes into this, we can look back at a verse that will remind us what we need to do. Look at the verse, Psalm 95. Remember what we read earlier? It said, let us kneel before the Lord, our, what's the word there? Our maker, our master, our Lord. It says, for he is our God We are the people. And so what I'm going to ask today is if you can and if you would like to, maybe just as a sign of reverence to God, maybe just as a way of saying, God, I want to place you back in place where you belong and just remind me who I am. We're just going to open up the altar here. And at our worship time here at the very end here, we're just going to remind God that he is God and we're not. In fact, maybe you'd like to come with some of those prayer requests that you even put down on your prayer card today. Maybe some of those stressors that you've had in your life. Maybe just to drop them off here in the front, just to pray to say, God, this is yours. I'm not taking control of this. Those of you in the venue, there's a cross in the back. We invite you to go back to that cross as well. And just take some time through this worship hour. Just this last few minutes that we've had here to just symbolically come before the Lord and say, God, I'm resigning as master of the Lord. This is yours, not mine. This is yours. And so as you come, I pray then that you will step out of here and you will be lighter. You will be less burdensome. 
Even from the balcony, you're welcome to come. You can do it in your own seats. That is fine. But for some of you, there's just something about coming down here to the front and said, I'm leaving this here. If you want someone to pray with you, I will be down here as well. I'd be happy to pray with you. But we're just going to come. We're going to say, God, we're kneeling before you because you are our maker. You are God. We are the people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for these moments that we... um, can hear your voice. Thank you for these moments when we can be in touch with you. Forgive us for trying to do this on our own. Forgive us for thinking we control the board and we're the master of it. But forgive us through Jesus, whom perhaps we have taken control back from. Lord, we're sorry. So today we kneel before you. Today we come acknowledging you, Christ, as Lord and Savior. Today we listen to your spirit lead us now. And even as we uh, humbly bow before you, God, may we be reminded of what place you take in our lives. You being our maker, you being our master, we just the sheep. May we listen to your voice. May we listen even now as we worship and as we come. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.